yeah. Say hello to the bad guy. Bad guy. The good guy coming last place. Smell that dope when I pass by. I let my money at a fast pace. All right, welcome to Say Hello to the Bad Guy. I'm your host, Locke, and this is the podcast where we drink, smoke, and bullshit about the life of a historic criminal. Now we're talking outlaws and gangsters. We're not going to cover too many serial killers. That's just a little bit dark for me, and this ain't no true crime podcast. Honestly, you can't call this a history podcast because I'm no historian. I'm just a history fan that does some research and bullshits about it with his friends. So speaking of my friends, let me introduce you to my co-host. First with us today, we got J-Bone. Hey, everybody. How's it going? And also with us today, we got Tone. What up, dope? Since you guys were trying to jump the gun, we'll get straight into these drinks. It is a whiskey. Tone, that was for, you said it tastes like a whiskey. Yep. I've never had a Japanese whiskey before. Mm. I was just going to say, why so pale? But Suntory Whiskey Toki hmm. from the House of Suntory Whiskey, established 1923. You guys taste it, though? What'd yeah. It's got a nice, uh, mellow... Less charcoal-y, uh, you know, earthy taste, but I like it. It's real good. My thing was, I was real surprised for it being so light. Like as soon, that I was gonna I thought add, it would when not he have guessed a good whiskey, whiskey right. before the before you told us what it was, I was thinking like, because you tasted it, I hadn't. Like, man, how do you get whiskey from that? Yeah. Like, there's the clear, there's un, you know, yeah. aged in burnt barrel. I'm like. What? That's why I was a little surprised. That's why I made that comment, because I'm like, this looks light, but it tastes like whiskey. It's a, a blend of carefully selected Japanese whiskey. Silky with a subtle, sweet, and spicy finish. Mm, sounds sexy. Oh. It looks a lot darker in the bottle. It does. Well, I also, it's in there with that giant ice cube. Yeah. So that probably had a little bit of water well, to it. When you put anything splashed over a Death Star, mm-hmm. like it kind of lightens it up. <laughs> well, we're usually drinking deep country bourbon. So you kind of need that ice cube to lighten that fucking, like you said, charcoal barrel yeah. dark shit to take a little bite off that. And this is already light, but I think it's still got the flavor. Not only have we tried, like I have here, every kind of whiskey. So Tennessee whiskey, Kentucky bourbon, Irish whiskey, Goddamn Canadian whiskey. Goddamn peanut butter whiskey, yeah. fucking maple f- fucking sausage whiskey, fucking. My fiance liked that peanut butter whiskey. Did she? Yeah, I ended up buying some. That new she yeah. yeah, it's a good drink. We I've now tried most of those. So there's Screwball, there's Sheepdog, there's uh, the Old Smokies. Is that the one you try? I tried the uh, Screwball. Screwball. Mm-hmm. That's probably the best of them. It's the most expensive, too. Yeah, it was pretty expensive. Bought the small bottle. <laughs> I think it still was like 20 bucks or some shit. But yeah, so now we can add a Japanese whiskey to our arsenal. Nice. I don't I don't think I had any kind of drink from uh, any from the Asian countries or anything. You never like, drank so- sake? I never, I never drank sake, I don't believe. Oh, man. I, I think I would have remembered that. I don't drink a lot of sake, but when I go to places that have it, when I do drink sake, I drink a lot. Okay. And... Uh, it's kind of like a, you know, a wine buzz is a little different yeah. because it's, you know, a grape versus a, a mash or whatever. Um, I feel like sake's kind of like that. Like it's yeah. a different type of buzz. It's more, like, I feel like you get more of a body buzz. It's a shot type glass, but it's a real small glass. Um, sake's not in the bottles are pint size. You don't really, even your alcoholics, I guess, if you had a party store in Japan, you're not sitting out there pounding fifths of sake. Like, it right. don't even come in those increments. Oh, it's okay. not. It's a sipper. Like, right. It's good, though. Get it hot. Like a hot sake. Hot sake. Oh, yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. 
smooth or what? Ah, uh, I mean, what are they, no, like, I smooth, mean, like Japanese whiskey. It's like it's got a liquor taste. It's a specific taste, but it's kind of good. That's I think it's better when it's hot. Really? It's kind of like a like a tea <laughs> liquor thing. Yeah, like a hot toddy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yes, but, but a hot but, but all by itself without so, straight straight sake. Yeah. You have. To... I mean, they have different kinds because it's kind of like wine. So they like if you go, there'd be like a sake selection. There's not just one. So what do they warm it up on the uh, on the grill for you, like in a teapot or something? No, they bring it to the table and so I think they heat it up on the back because I don't think you could just. It's like comes in like some special. It's mm, a glass sake tea a sake. server. Well, I just need to get to a. Japanese restaurant, I guess. Well, see, yeah. I was at my local massage parlor and I asked for a hot sake. Ah, the one over and there. Then, on, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. They the fucking place. threw me in the back of a cop car. <laughs> <laughs> they got you too. Before we get started, we got to make sure we thank Sixfold Swaino for letting us use his music in the intro, and then Cancer for letting us use his song in the mid roll. We're using his new song, Kings and Cannibals, so check that out. You can follow both on Instagram. If you can't find our links, you can go to our website, badguypodcast.com. And you can click straight to the links through there. You can also go follow us at Bad Guy Podcast on Instagram and Bad Guy Podcast on TikTok. We're on Twitter too at the Bad Guy Pod, but we don't tweet much. We got some followers, but I don't know. Tweet us, and then we have to tweet you back. Make us use it, and we will. If you tweet me, then I'll tweet you back. <laughs> That's that fucking digital underground jam, right? Yep. All right, we'll go ahead and get started. And the bad guy we're covering today is Ken Edo. This ain't negotiation time. This is Scarface, final scene, fucking bazookas under each arm. Say hello to my little friend. Edo. Okay. Yeah. E.T.O. Ken Edo. Okay, okay, now I see what's going <laughs> Tokyo on Tokyo Joe, yeah. see? <laughs> so we got Ken Edo, a.k.a. Tokyo Joe. So that's why we bust out the Japanese whiskey mm. <laughs> for our first Japanese bad guy. Ken Edo was born in California on October 19th, 1919. I seen that he was from Stockton, but I know he grew up in a farm too. But I guess I don't know the California landscape that much. So when I think of Stockton, I think of the Diaz brothers, you know, in the Stockton slap. So I didn't know if that used to be farm territory, but it said he was from Stockton, California. His dad was a devout Christian and a strict disciplinarian. That's actually how he got here. Like he came here visiting, like to, because there was like a lot of migrants coming over at the time. And he came over and, like, found Jesus and figured he needed to help these Japanese heathens immigrate into America. So he decided to stay here and raise his family here. I'm sorry. what My drunk ass uh, forgot the timeline. He was born in ni- uh, 1919. Sorry. Thank yeah. you. So his dad's a devout Christian, strict disciplinarian. He'd use beatings in ex- extreme situations. He'd burn his children for mm. discipline. you got to burn them young so they know you <laughs> love them. Right. So Ken Edo's brother remembers his mom's always being depressed, usually not getting out of bed, and he never remembers hearing her speak. Um, when he was older, he found out she was dead in the bed. Like, <laughs> She's just depressed. Shut up. He never got out of bed, never spoke, never... She turned dusty, like... Oh, yeah, she was a mummy. <laughs> Eventually, her husband sent her back to Japan, where she spent her final years in a mental health facility. So as a kid, Tokyo Joe liked to fight. He had a reputation as a tough kid, and at the age of 14, he ran away from home. He would travel for work following groups of Japanese immigrants. So he'd hop the, he'd live like a hobo life. He'd hop the trains, follow the rails, and there's just these groups of migrant Japanese workers working their way up the West Coast. So he'd follow those groups, and he'd get jobs at either, like, picking 
like fruit picking and picking vegetables. But then as he got further up north, they would work. There was like a lot of cannery jobs. So he just kind of worked his way up and down the coast, hopping rails. While living on his own, he learned he had a photographic memory. He was great with numbers and he had great situational observation skills. For years, he would continue to work to make the connections and meet people, but he made most of his money gambling on the side. That was a smart hustler, man. That's how you do that shit. (laughs) I have this high-stakes, no-limit game of Go going on later, um, if you want to come throw it out. sure. Like, oh, yeah, I guess I'm not doing nothing. Yeah, I mean, we all got paid today, right? Yeah, yeah. And then we'll go jump the rail. Then uh, we'll be heading up to San Francisco. (laughs) On Sunday morning, December 7th, 1941, the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor, which led to America joining World War II. But so with Pearl Harbor, we know Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor. And internment camps over here. Yeah. So America declares war against Japan and America put up internment camps across America where they would hold Japanese American citizens. Edo was interned at Minidoka War Relocation Center in Idaho. It's now a historic site, but it was a huge internment camp for the japanese at the time nothing says temporary prisoner house like hey that's not even got a foundation it's just on pegs like you know it's getting torn down anyway with nothing else to do ken edo would spend all of his time i keep reverting between names i'll just call him tokyo joe so at this point he wasn't tokyo joe he was just ken edo but all this gambling i think he's the um japanese amarillo slim in 1942, he was arrested for the first time for violating uh, a camp wartime curfew. After the war ended, he stayed in the area until 1949, where he moved to Chicago. But that's when he kind of becomes known as Tokyo Joe. So Tokyo Joe shows up, and he starts off in gambling dens, and he rapidly just he starts cleaning house. He eventually starts making so much money, he gets approached by the outfit, because those are the guys running all the big-time games. And basically, it got to a point where he was making so much money gambling that they just deemed it a racket, and in order for him to keep gambling in their dens, they would have to get a cut of all of his winnings. Mm. So eventually, he gets to a point where he's making so much money, and he spends so much time with these guys, they say, well, you know what? Instead of just gambling all the time, if you're so good at this, you should run a gambling operation. So he starts working as kind of a gambling book. Now, he first tried to work on the numbers game in the black neighborhoods of Chicago, which at one point we covered was ran by Ted Ted Rowe. He had a hard time getting the numbers racket in the black neighborhood because at the time there was the P-Stones. They kind of took over that neighborhood. So he ended up working as a go between the Italians and the Puerto Ricans where he ran a game which was called Belita, which is the numbers game, but it was a Puerto Rican version. Puerto Rican. His organizational skills helped him develop a booming operation, and he worked as an associate for the Chicago Outfit for decades. At his peak, he was bringing in 200 k a week, most of which would be paid out in payoffs, bribes, and kickups. He would take home about 25 grand a week. Nice. Not bad. So that comes out to $1.3 million a year. <laughs> in them times, not now. Yeah, that's like in, uh, we're, this is like late 70s. Yeah. One point three million. That was a time. Five million. That was a time when you were like being a millionaire meant something. Yeah. Like if you're a millionaire now, you're still you're like upper middle class almost. There's some so, punk kid in your mom's basement who's good at online poker. Fuck so you, you said this is the 1970s. Yeah. So we, yeah. The later. So 70s. late he, 70s. So he's pretty old now. Yeah. He was born in 21, so he's 50. No, he's born in 19. Or yeah, 1919. So yeah, yeah. He's 56, 57. Okay. Yeah. He's all right. Oh yeah, and I guess uh, I did miss when he first moved to Chicago. He had a thing for the ladies. Mm. He uh, married a stripper. Nice. Soon after coming to Chicago. I am rough with a stripper. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
It's just a sake talking. <laughs> Did I mention hot sake? <laughs> but yeah, so he had a thing, thing for ladies. He had a lot of money. He married a stripper, had a couple kids. He ended up divorcing her and marrying another lady. So another stripper. <laughs> I don't know if the other lady was a stripper, but he was uh he was that guy. He left have. Sapphire and went to Diamond. I would have. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you're just a rich guy making the rounds yeah. in Chicago. Connected guy. Hey, forget about it. <laughs> He'd end up eventually having six kids. What we're gonna do? We're gonna go ahead and take a quick smoke break, refill our drinks, and we'll be back in a minute. Cannibals. Wow. 
We're back. So when we left off, he had put himself in a position as a high-ranking associate over decades running gambling operations in Chicago. He was labeled as a high-ranking associate and a good earner, but he was able to mostly operate under the radar. Now, in the early 80s, a rookie federal agent named Elaine Smith was made one of the only female agents to cover OC in Chicago. Oh, damn. The female Elliot Ness. So she comes over to organize crime, and at first they have her checking, like, wiretaps and, you know, just doing all the shit work. It was kind of, I guess, just after Hoover had passed, and they said, okay, we're going to let ladies in, you know? They're like, okay, but we're not going to like it, you know? All right. So she you starts... You brought some laundry for me to do? <laughs> <laughs> so she gets in. She's one of the first females... One of the first females in the FBI, but definitely one of the first working organized crime in Chicago. She's from the Chicago area. She really wanted to get. So she was assigned to cover Ken Edo, which was like, a, like this guy ain't even Italian. It's like a slap in the face. It's like a go away job. The file, there was nothing in it. So it was kind of like just busy work. Like, okay, here you go. You made it. Here's Ken Edo. Go cover this guy. Right. So she decided to diligently work the case. And then she just dug into like all the tedious stuff, which is like, case files working ci's working wiretaps so just listening to everything all the time and she starts covering ken edo who's some guy that nobody ever covered because he's japanese in chicago so it didn't make sense and it turned out he was tied in with all of the top guys oh really yeah so she starts tailing this dude and he's just turns out he's like this gangster like he's this feared guy he's a big he's a good earner so due to her work eventually she turns a ci they come up with an operation and they bust one of his stash houses. And they catch him with a ton of money. And they busted him for interstate gambling. Because most of his stuff was coming out of Gary, Indiana. Once you cross the state line with your crime, it becomes federal. Yeah. Which is always a no-no. It was a huge thing, too. There was probably four places in 1982-ish. Like Atlantic City, down in Mississippi, out in Vegas. Like everywhere else was frowned upon. Mm-hmm. That's a big deal back then and and them times, like interstate gambling. So they get a big bust on him, and she tries to flip him. And he refused to flip, and he said back in Japan he came from a family of samurais, which believed in the Bushido Code, and that... Death before dishonor. Yeah, that he took an oath, and he wasn't going to flip. Right. And then he he looked at the case, and he said, honestly, I'm not even going to fight the case. It looks like I'll do 18 months. I can do 18 months on my head. So... I'm not going to flip. I'm not even going to fight the case. Whatever. You got me. So the capo he reported to was a guy named Vincent Solano, who was skeptical that he wouldn't flip. Most people reached out and they said, yeah, he said, he said he's just going to do the time. He's not even going to fight in court. He's just going to plead guilty, do the time. And that made him not trust it. Because he said, well, why would he plead guilty? Why wouldn't he at least fight it or something? That doesn't make sense. He's probably going to flip. Because I'm no snakes nine, bitch. So, Vincent Solano was skeptical, and on February 10th, 1983, Tokyo Joe was invited to dinner to discuss the situation. As a gambler, he actually said, in hindsight, they did the math, thought there was about a 90% chance he was going to get killed, which left about 10% chance of coming out of it alive. 
So before he left, he took a bath, he put on his best suit, and he left his life insurance information for his wife. So he goes out, he sits in his car, and he said he sat in his car for like a half hour. Like, fuck, they're probably going to kill me. Should I fucking go? You, know, you like, have to go. So he goes. He goes and picks up two outfit soldiers, Jasper Campisi and John Gattuso. And he's driving the car. So one drives, one gets in the front seat, one gets in the back seat. They're giving the directions to a restaurant he's never been to. And he said he knew. He actually said the one guy, he said when he seen Gattuso's hand was shaking, he knew, all right, they're about to fucking kill me. And they turn into an alley. And they tell him to park in the alley. And the second he parked in the alley, they shot him in the head. And as soon as he got shot in the head, he's like, I knew it. And then they shot him in the head again. And he's like, what the fuck? Why, why am I not dead? And then they shot him in the head again. And he was like, well, fuck. I'm going to play dead. Or they're going to keep shooting me. So he just starts flopping. And he flops on the floor of the, the car and uh, plays dead. And they both get out of the car and they bounce. So he waits until he hears him run and he gets out of the car. And he's all fucked up. He's bleeding everywhere from his head. But he's not dead. And he runs down the street and he goes to like a local pharmacy and tells them to call 911. And they're like, oh, I don't know. But eventually he gets an ambulance there. They take him to the hospital. And uh, he got shot in the head three times. Most of the bullets hit his skull and wrapped around his head. Now, what I thought it was attributed to when I first read it is that I heard Frank Collada, who was a mob guy, he passed away recently. He's doing tours in Vegas. He was with Tony Spilotro. He's one of the technical advisors on Casino or whatever. But he talked about a lot of Chicago guys were reloading their old bullets and thinking that if they used 22 with less gunpowder, it would make less noise and it worked like a silencer. And they just weren't having enough power to kill people. So I assume that's what it was. Official police documents said it was just like really old bullets. So they weren't stored properly. Either way, they shot him in the head three times. And didn't kill him. That's crazy. So they get him to the hospital, and they can't believe he got, like, a real bad concussion. He couldn't hear right. Like, he's all fucked up, because he was shot in the head. But the police bring him in, and they're like, well, hey, I mean, you said you didn't want to flip. They shot you in the head. Now we can leave, but you're going to be sitting here shot in the head, and they just come back and kill you. They'll bring a better gun this time. (laughs) (laughs) So he says, he tells the cops, he says, I don't want to talk to anybody but Elaine Smith. They go call. They call Elaine Smith, who she was on vacation when they called her. And they brought her in, and he said, "Look, I didn't want to flip, but they're gonna kill me. There's nothing I can do. Like if I go to jail, they're gonna kill me. If I go back on the street, they're gonna kill me. So, I mean, how does this work?" He turned state's evidence, and between all the work that she had did, like digging through all the old files, and and him having a photographic memory, they filled up like twelve notebooks full of notes that he gave Damn. up. Among the information that Joe gave were the names of both of the shooters. Both of the guys, Jasper Campisi and John Catuso, were arrested. And they both made bail. It was like a million point five apiece. They tried to flip them. And they're like, hey, you blew the hit. You know what I mean? Right. You're going to get killed. You should just flip. And they were like, no, we're fine. It's not a big deal. On July 14th, 1983, the bodies of Jasper Campisi and John Catuso were found garroted in the trunk of a car in the Chicago suburb of Naperville. Mm-hmm. Well, what did you say found rotted? Garroted. That's the piano wire yeah, from behind yeah. strangulation oh, and shit. Okay. Hello, Carlo. So his testimony led to the conviction of 15 outfit mobsters and their associates, and that included corrupt police officers. Tokyo Joe would testify in outfit trials for years afterwards. The failed assassination of Tokyo Joe is considered the death blow to the Chicago outfit as we knew it. 
the golden that, age yeah. from Capone all the way up till 82, 83. So from Tokyo Joe, huh? Yeah. Ken Edo died in Georgia in 2004 at the age of 84. He was living under the name Joe Tanaka. Elaine Smith wrote a book called A Gun in My Gucci, which is like a real good resource if you want more information. And she also worked on a documentary named Tokyo Joe, The Extraordinary Life of Ken Edo. So those are both like real good resources on Ken Edo. But I got to do an interview with Elaine Smith. Mm -hmm. So we're going to do that after this episode's over. I don't know. I'm either going to put it after this or release them both at the same time. Okay. But after the episode's over, we have an interview with Elaine Smith. So it's a good interview, except for the part where I'm learning how to interview. <laughs> so somebody's publicist sent an email to the wrong guy. Like, hey, I heard you got a podcast or something. You want to interview her? <laughs> That's funny. After she got off the Zoom call with you, she's like, amateur. <laughs> At one point she said, though, she said, That's a good question. Nobody ever asked me that question before. Hmm. I'm like, fuck yeah. Oh, yeah, it is. Bad guy yeah. podcast, motherfucker. Yeah. We ask good questions. We ask all kinds of good questions. <laughs> we ask the hard-hitting questions over here. I'm not a historian, <laughs> but I'm smart as fuck. <laughs> and I read all this shit. <laughs> well, honestly, what kind of really led to it is the fact that the both of them were kind of fucking... They are both kind of outsiders on what they did. So they were like, whatever, go go do something. And go right, away. right. They, and then they were like, well, you're not even Italian. You're Japanese. Go work with the Puerto Ricans. Right. They gave yeah. her a case that no one was like even thinking about even solving, you know? <laughs> right. Like, we we barely had any kind of information on you. You're not going to solve this. You're a woman. <laughs> <laughs> you're a woman. Yeah. And I like my coffee black. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and what's fucked up is that's not the 50s. That was like 1980. But Back those then. cops then were the guys that were kids in the 50s that are like, it wouldn't hurt you to run a vacuum across this here. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so that's the story of Tokyo Joe. So say goodnight to the bad guy. Go on. The last time you're going to see a bad guy like this again, let me tell you. So you guys haven't seen a picture, but if we are going to cast a movie about Tokyo Joe, who would you cast to play him? I'm going to say minus, minus the... Uh, martial arts prowess like a jet lee type yeah these are hard for me because i only know a, a, a handful of asian right actors, you gotta start thinking be all like oh jackie chan <laughs> <laughs> well here you go here's some pictures of tokyo joe ah he is kind of a jet lee <laughs> <laughs> or a jackie chan he really looks like a shitty Jackie Chan. Yeah, picture. because, he, I mean, most of his story was probably, uh, I think we narrowed it down to, he was about 50 or some shit like that. Yeah. So, yeah. So you bring in some younger guy to play him yeah. for, like, you know, a chunk of the backstory or whatever, but the most of the story of him is going to be an older dude. Right. right. Definitely that middle picture, Jackie Chan for sure. Yeah. <laughs> All right, here's a bunch of pictures of him shot up. So now we got to do the DEFCON scale. So standard DEFCON scale is 5 to 1. 5 being the lowest, 1 being the highest. On the Bad Guy Podcast, there's no good guys. So 5 would be Lee Murray, who is your coke-dealing bank robber. And then at 1, you'd have the Purple Gang, who's got multiple gang wars, multiple massacres, and they're killing people on the street. So on a scale of Lee Murray to the Purple Gang, where would you rate Ken Edo? (laughs) I'm putting Tokyo Joe at a 2. I got to go... I gotta say three. Like, he was rubbing shoulders enough to have a lot of dirt under his name, but uh, the other, the intellect qualities, not just the photographic memory, but the organizational skills, doing what he did in the outfit for decades, and then 
Now they did cap him in the head three times. It didn't work, but he also he died at eighty four. I mean, he he knew a lot about you know the syndicate that he brought down. You know, he, he did. Knew- but if he got in like with a company and like he knew nothing about the auto industry, like I could see him applying the person he was inside, just being successful at whatever he did. He just went from the farmland from right. then he ended up in Chicago. And went in Rome. So he got mixed up in the crime and all that, but nothing pure, pure evil. I definitely put it towards the middle because I think like he accomplished a lot as a gangster, but I don't think he had a violent streak. Like I think he was violent enough to be able to get his way on the street. You know, like okay. he wasn't a punk. But I don't think uh I don't think he was a violent guy like that. I think I think he was a good dude that used what he had to get by in a shit situation. I mean fourteen hopping trains to get a job picking fruit or something it's a shit gig you know what i mean and uh he worked his way up to banging strippers right i mean so i've kind of put a middle of the pack he's a he's a gangster by technicality yeah by the fact by the fact that his job is a bad guy job probably ran a rock solid belita operation you know what i'm saying i bet that shit was smooth like people loved him yeah like he's probably running the fuck out of that numbers game like the one way that i think that like he's impressive is the numbers when they say he's making between 150 and 200 a, a week and he's bringing home 25 that's not a guy that fucking eats alone he's distributing the wealth mm-hmm. and shit all right so we're gonna we're gonna call him a defcon 3 zach this is crystal palace sink no has declared defcon 3 scramble all alert aircraft i repeat scramble all alert aircraft before we go you guys got anything no just thanks for thanks for listening Let's hope we don't uh, get completely locked down again. Yeah, that'll be bad. This is Michigan. Well, this is Say Hello to the Bad Guy. Thanks for coming, and thanks for listening. Yeah, say hello to the bad guy. Bad guy. I come in last place. Smell that dope when I pass by. I let my money at a fast pace. Say hello to the bad guy. Good guy come in last place. Smell the dope when I pass by. Down bad, my mama had to be dead. Spent my birthdays in the trap. We had to work with what we had. She been working on a raise while trying to raise me like a man. Plus my daddy in the box and all my cousins in the camera. And I don't need a hundred friends. I just want a hundred bands, a hundred jugs, a hundred scams. Hey, hey. So I don't money grab the hundred hams. I don't money grabbed a bunch of And bands. I ain't wanna fall victim to that system or the pistols. Fuck a judge with a grudge. I'm going crud for my mental life. Ay. And I still keep it on me. Run into your big homie. First you meet your dead homie. Ay. Yeah. Say hello to the bad guy. Bad guy. The good guy coming last place. You smell that dope when I pass by. Pass by. I let my money at a fast pace. Say hello to the bad guy. Bad guy. I just did the dash in the fast lane. Let my money at a fast pace, look like a drag race. Country up in my ashtray, I'm in my bag. Good girl, bad face, slim waist, and her ass fake. And she in love with the bad guy. But bad bitches never act right. She act up until that bag fly. I did a turnaround at one.
the bad guy. The good guy come at last place. You smell that dope when I pass by. I let my money at a fast pace. Say hello to the bad guy. The good guy come at last place. You smell the dope when I pass by.